The Magic Book Club with Benson's for Beds. Welcome to the Magic Book Club podcast where we chat to your favourite authors and get behind what really makes them put pen to paper. This week we're joined by Louise Hare, a writer whose work has been subject to much excitement. No pressure. (laughs) (laughs) She was shortlisted for the Lucy Cavendish College Fiction Prize in 2017 and her short story The Odyssey of Dee Lennox was shortlisted for the 2016 Just Write Creative Writing Competition. However, it is This Lovely City, her debut novel, which we're chatting about, which follows the life of Jamaican jazz musician Laurie Matthews, lovely Laurie, as he arrives in London uh, on the Empire Windrush in the 1950s. In very challenging times, he falls for the girl next door, but not everything is as it seems. Is that fair enough? You do yeah. hate it when people kind of sum up your like life's work in a <laughs> sentence, Louise. I'm happy that you can because I really struggle with that. So. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I guess as well, you know, um, when you... Uh, that's the question, sort of how did you come to this idea? Because, I mean, wh- number one, what a story, what a twist and turn and amazing story... But, uh, you know, on top of amazing characters, but, uh, you know, with the backdrop of this incredibly complex time, Mm. what brought it all together for you? So, um, obviously, with the Wimra scandal, it kind of ended up a lot more timely than it was when I wrote it, because I started writing this back uh, before that all happened. So uh, the book was written before the Wimra scandal hit the paper. So it's just really a coincidence. And it really just began as a short story. Um, I did an MA in creative writing at Birkbeck on the first term. I'm really rubbish at short stories and I thought I'd finally written a short story that I really liked. And Sir, I've done it! I've done <laughs> yeah. it! And he was like, this is a chapter of a novel, this isn't a short story. And I was like really gutted for a while. <laughs> um, but everyone was like, well, what happens next? I was like, I really don't know. Um, but then I found, I realised that I was actually interested to find out what happened next. So... Um, so that short story is in the novel. It's one of the nineteen, the first nineteen forty-eight chapter. Uh, the timing's really interesting in it. I, lo- I, you know, you have to do, you have to pay attention to the timing a little bit to kind of for it to sort of go. Oh, yes. okay. <laughs> um, uh, but I know that you you went to Birkbeck, and and we'll talk about that because it seems like an incredibly fruitful and uh, mm. an inspiring time for you. And I think for any aspiring writers, it's a, it's a really great story for you to tell. Um, the the I know you talk about um, that you that obviously the Windrush scandal scandal broke after you had the um, had the ideas. Uh, you've also spoken about how frustrating you felt in the past about how little people, how little Londoners knew about Windrush before it came to our attention via the scandal. Yeah, I was actually really surprised. Um, I always wanted to sort of try and write historical fiction, um, but put black characters at the front of that, because I think that's something that I've always sort of searched for and never been able to find in a, in a bookshop or a library. Um, and I was actually trying to sort of delve further back, so going to like Victorian London or Georgian. So when I had this idea and it was sort of, because it started with... Wimbush passengers, it kind of had to be around that time. I was kind of like, oh, this was like what I was trying to avoid because it's like been done. You know, you've got Small yeah. Island, um, Andrew Levy's brilliant book. And I thought, you know, people already know about that. I want to sort of show them something they don't know. But then I found that um, I was at work like the week after the Wimbush scandal had broken. And because people had known I was writing this book, suddenly I was like the work expert on Windrush. So people like coming up to me in their lunch breaks and going, but what is this? And like people that lived in Brixton that walked past like the Black Cultural Archives, past Windrush Square. Windrush Square! On the way to work yeah. every day and never knew why it was called Windrush Square. And I was like, wow. 
And also, what did you think I was writing about when I've been telling you about my book? It was setting memories here in London. They were just like, oh, that sounds amazing. Like, you're just like it's, it's about weather. I mean, like, what? That's incredible, actually. I mean, does that, was, that could it that must have been an emotional double-edged sword for you, actually, kind of, sort of mm. going, look, I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled that this story is being brought to everybody's attention. The book's going to make, you know, a, a, make it possibly a lot more accessible or understandable. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, by the same token, gee, whiz, do I really have to go back to basics and explain this? Yeah. I think it's just, I find it a bit scary at first because it's kind of like, um, I guess, the first novel that's coming out after the scandal. Obviously, there's been lots of sort of non-fiction books that have come out in the last sort of 18 months. But, um, yeah, just having sort of feeling that you have to sort of represent that community, I guess. It's hard. Um, yeah. But, I mean, realistically, the story's written, so there's nothing in the story that like, wasn't already there. Um, I think we made a few tweaks during edits just to sort of reinforce that these people had British passports and they were British when they came over. And I think that's something that people sort of forget. And uh, it's felt very strongly with Evie and Laurie, our two protagonists, who I think we all fall in love with a little bit. They're both um, just gorgeous characters. Did you, how formed were they um, uh, when when they came to you? Were they, uh, when, were they, did you have to do a lot of work on them? Because I know uh, Laurie is a postman as well. Mm. They're, um, they're, they're, that wasn't without precedent. Yeah, I did um, sort of more research into the backgrounds, but Laurie sort of as a person sort of came pretty much fully formed because um, he's just such an easygoing guy. Like, there's no sort of quirks to him particularly. He's sort of just trying to... You feel sorry for him because he's just trying to get, get on with his life and just things keep happening to him. Yeah. Um, whereas Evie, actually just a lot more complex and I find it really difficult to sort of get to understand her. But I mean, part of that, I guess, is because of her background. So how... And her mum. Yeah. <laughs> Agnes. <laughs> yeah. Who's, you know, I mean, she's, but she's again, like, no, I wanted to make the characters kind of, um, maybe not Rathbone, who's the sort of policeman. Yeah. But um, the rest of them, I think they're like flawed. I wanted to do right flawed characters, but I hope even when they do stupid or bad things that you kind of understand why I'm they've so, done them. Do you know what? I'm so glad you said uh, flawed characters because I was saying to I was saying to our producer, Alex, earlier, I said, there's something quite Thomas Hardy-esque about this. <laughs> Whereas these 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 characters, some of them are put in these situations where you just go, you, I just know what you're going to do. And I don't want to turn the page because I know, <laughs> and, and, you know, with Thomas Hardy, it was the backdrop was always this really hostile, you know, countryside mm. environment. And, and the backdrop here is this hostile London uh, that that gave them a, a false promise mm. and that, you know, anything that goes wrong is therefore going to sort of, you know, it's just going to be exacerbated. Um, uh, th so tell us tell us what you can do about uh, about the situation that Laurie and Evie find themselves in okay. without giving it away. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess if we just talk about, the, because quite a lot happens right at the start. So, yes. Um, so the book opens in 1950. And so at this point, Laurie and Evie are already together sort of starting to make plans for the future. And then um, at the end of the first chapter, Laurie is cycling home across Clapham Common and um, sees this woman in distress and sort of stops to help her out and realises there's a body in the pond. Um, so obviously um, he gets suspected of murder immediately and then it sort of goes on from there. Um, it, inevitably, accusations are made and harsh uh things are said mm. um as a woman of color yourself is it difficult writing this 
Um, yeah. <laughs> it was, like, some of the scenes were really difficult. I mean, I did put in a couple of my own experiences for Evie, so it was sort of, like, actually quite cathartic to sort of go... I sort of hope that person that said those things to me reads it and yeah. they feel bad. I mean, they probably wouldn't recognise themselves or, I don't know, I mean, lots of these things happened a long time ago, but, um, yeah, it was it was interesting. It was an interesting <laughs> exercise, I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure. Um, and I guess as well, um, whether or not it makes you hopeful, because we feel we do feel hopeful at the end of, uh, of the book. Mm. I mean, it is... It is that's it. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> because it's only by the skin of its teeth that it's hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it is hopeful at the end. And I mean, looking forward for you in our current uh, current sort of political climate uh, with with Brexit. And and actually, I was just saying, I was just saying as well that it was uh, Commonwealth Day this this week, mm. and that the Queen had posted um, uh, loads of pictures of her visiting all the all the all the, the far corners of the Commonwealth yeah. over over many many years. Does it does it leave you feeling sort of challenged or conflicted, or are you hopeful um, for for Windrush Generation uh, citizens still in the UK and and their prospects and, yeah. and for for us generally? Um. I really don't know. I really would like to be hopeful, but I think, you know, it's been two years since the Windrush scandal broke and we're still seeing deportations. So I I don't know what's going to happen. It's it's pretty depressing, to be honest. Um, so I think we just have to keep sort of, I guess, fighting on trying to spread the word and um, stop the stigmatisation of people, you know, of, of immigration and refugees and actually start to treat people like... People, yeah, like humans, like you know, you, you know, your next door neighbor, or I, I don't know, get to know people. I mean, we just um, we're always really quick to blame other people for things. I mean, you see it with the coronavirus <laughs> and people stopping going to Chinese restaurants, which I, I just don't know what to say about that. I mean, there's no logic in that, is there? <laughs> there was a really nice tweet. Do you know what? I saw there was a really nice tweet yesterday that I saw, which was uh, which was uh, aimed at saying uh, to all the people who are are hoarding now and, you know, sort of going out mm. and buying. Why don't you knock on the door of an elderly person in your road or somebody that is on their own and make sure that they've got enough? And it was one of those, you know, sort of moments that you go, I mean, seriously. Uh, but, of course, in in the midst of all this are two fantastic characters. What do you love most about Laurie? He's, he's, I mean, you know, he said he's very easygoing, but I love yeah. the fact that, you know, by day he walks the streets, of, you know, as a jazz musician and there's that, insight mm. into smoky, you know, sort of sticky floors of nightclubs yeah. and things that is that we all love, um, <laughs> you know, obviously. And and that by day he has this job. I mean, the man never sleeps. I know. I mean, he's just... I think he's trying to prove to himself that he made the right decision at the end of the day because, you know, his first experiences of arriving into London aren't that great. <laughs> he gets, no, he not gets really. in the face the very first night. <laughs> um, so... So, yeah, he wants things to work out. Um, you know, he lost his brother in the war. His dad passed away before that. So he's kind of, he kind of feels alone a lot of the time. And so in his sort of little household that he's made with his landlady and the other lodgers and then also with Evie, um, this is his, like, big opportunity to, like, have made something and not have made, like, the worst decision of his life, essentially. Yeah. So he's working really hard just to just to get by and sort of get through it all. I feel like he would have been, in this day and age, somebody who hated Twitter and social media and the noise. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Would just hate, would have liked to have just passed through life without mm. any trouble at all, you Definitely. know. <laughs> okay, now, um, 
when you started writing, before you did, because we know about the MA at Birkbeck College, which was mm. obviously a, a massive turning point for you, I think, in terms yeah. of yeah, confidence. and, and um, Did you always want to write before that, though? What came before the MA? No, um, I... I sort of wrote when I was a kid. Did you? What did you write about when you were a kid? Just really terrible stories. I don't think so. But nothing happened. Um, <laughs> it was always about like creating characters, I think. And I think that's where I started with this book as well. So that's always been something that I've started with is like the characters and, and where they live. Um, and then sort of thought about the story later. <laughs> um but yeah, I kind of just got out of the habit. I like, went to uni to business studies, so completely unrelated. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And then Were you noting um, all the way through business studies? Did you did you mess around with characters all the way through that or did you completely no, leave it alone I just for a bit? Completely left it. I sort of just threw myself into uni life, living away from home. And spent most of the time in the pub. Um, so at university, <laughs> how very strange! I know. Um, so yeah, I really like left everything behind because uh, I used to play music a lot at high school as well. I'd like stop playing music, start writing, just went to the pub. So, uh, <laughs> it means you've got to get it out of your system at some point, haven't exactly, you? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I only got back into writing about sort of five years ago, um, which was mainly. Because I sort of got to a point in my career, I've been working in the travel industry, so I've been working yes. in sales. Um, and I was just like, do I actually want to do this for another like 30 years? And um realised the answer was quite strongly no. <laughs> and then I just had a bit of a panic. And then was like, well, what do I like doing? Because I was like, I'm not actually qualified to do much else because it's been too long since my degree so although I did like marketing like there's no way I'm going to get a marketing job unless I start at the bottom yeah so I just ended up doing a writing course just for a bit of a laugh and then sort of fell in love with it again and carried on well, I mean, we are so grateful for you doing this out of necessity. <laughs> Me too. The bank manager started saying, Louise, you want to do something, please? Yeah. You're listening to the Magic Book Club podcast. We'll go behind the cover next and ask the important questions and talk more with Louise after this. T talk us through a little bit about the MA because um, it was quite, there was some quite regimented, in the, the best kind of way, sort of mm. approaches to new writers. Was that helpful learning structure, um, how you approach your writing day? Yeah, I mean, with the MA, the part of the reason I, I did it was because I'd written a novel it's kind of like that novel in the drawer that a lot of writers have. Um, and I just needed to feel positive again. So I was like, I'd had some decent feedback off agents, but at, you know, at the end of the day, it was a no. So um, I had a friend who was doing an MA at, at a different university, which was too far away. But Birkbeck's great because you can do it in the evening. Yep. So I was like, well, I can do that around work. Um, I mean, what that meant is that I did have to sort of be very disciplined in terms of, you know, if you're working full time, it's like, when do you write? And then when do you do exactly. the work for the course as well? So it's like, you have to be like, really, um, just really organised. Are you naturally inclined that way? Uh, I can be, I'm really lazy, but if I do organise <laughs> myself, then I do do it. So actually, it was quite good because it meant that I you had, had to. to do it. Um, so, and then the course itself was, you know, it was actually pretty laid back, like, each term is like your different things. So I did like short stories. Um, I did playwriting for a term, which is really good to try something <sighs> completely different. It sounds blissful. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I met some really good people. So like a lot of us still meet up and like sort of share work and workshop it. Well, at the, so, at the end of the book, there's a there's a huge thank you to some of your writing buddies. Yeah. that was obviously all going through the same thing at the same time. And, you know, um, that you must have been a huge support. 
Exactly. And like a lot of, um, especially towards the beginning of the book, um, a lot of that was written through those workshops, both at the actual university and sort of afterwards as well, so... Yeah. I mean, it's quite something, isn't it? Are you, I mean, like all power to you coming out of an MA and this book being... I mean, is it, have you been... Are you coping with it okay? Is it being quite a ride? <laughs> yeah, um, I think so. We'll see. <laughs> you don't isn't seem to be the type of person yeah. to be phased by much, do you? <laughs> yeah. do you? And do you when, you... when you are writing, are you a pen paper? Uh, do you have a spooky typewriter somewhere? Or are you a straight-to-laptop, can write anywhere? Uh, pretty much straight to laptop, so I can write at home or um, coffee shops. Sometimes it's quite nice if I if I know I need to do something for like two hours and not get distracted. Then actually go to coffee shops quite good because otherwise yeah. I will decide I need a cup of tea or a snack <laughs> or that there might be something on TV. So <laughs> so coffee shops are quite handy if you just. Is that sort of shame yourself? <laughs> I'm, just, you know, I'm starting to wonder as well whether something like the writer's sort of four pounds because so many people write in coffee shops mm. and there's so many carbs consumed. <laughs> like yeah. I just wonder whether it's like a <laughs> recognised. Oh yeah, the writer's four pounds. Mm. <laughs> um, is is was your book ever finished? Did they have to drag it from your hands and you were like, no, let me tweak a little bit more, or were you quite um, happy to say, no, I'm done? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so I think because it's like your first novel, you do so many drafts before it even gets sent to a publisher. So, I mean, just sitting down with my agent and literally her going, this is pretty much not working. <laughs> it's literally at the end of one draft. And I was like, okay, I really want to just bin this. So by the time it got to the publisher, it was like draft five or six. You see, I want to ask you a question because so many, so many writers that we speak to have said this. As a, as, a, as a DJ, when my producer Alex says to me, OK, let's go through the show and we'll listen to some of those links and well, we could do that a little bit better or maybe we could... Mm. I am so offended and hurt and I go home <laughs> and I cry and I'm like, oh, I'm so terrible at this. <laughs> and when somebody, like an agent, does that to you, you know, to to sort of be quite grown up about it and listen to those mm. suggestions, how does that make you feel? Um, I think you just have to do you it. you just got to I do mean, it. Yeah. yeah, if you can't take criticism, you're, you shouldn't be a writer. Or you should just write for yourself and just <laughs> not, never share it to anybody. Yeah, exactly. Because, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm going to be like the ultimate criticism now. Like the book's out there, you know, there's going to be reviews online and people exactly. talking about it. And, you know, if you can't handle one person kindly sitting down and, you know, giving you really constructive feedback then you're not going to cope with yeah exactly you know, someone on twitter thank you i think you. i needed you to say that to me <laughs> my producer's like like going thank you louise thank you <laughs> did you um I, I, there's nothing quite like is it, uh, because this this is your debut uh, novel as well i mean i can't imagine anything quite like than like, like getting a, a hardback copy mm. with the cover how did yeah. that feel when you saw it for the first time Oh, it was amazing. And I was actually away because I, I knew it was waiting for me when I got home. <laughs> I got away for a few days. And so um, my editor had like sort of tweeted the photo of like the first copy in the office. So um, and then I got there and it's like you got the delivery card. You're like, oh, no. But then it had been delivered <gasps> to a neighbour. And I was like, please be in. And she was in. So, Thank goodness for yeah. that. Yeah. So, yeah, got my hand up. So I just, you know, stroke it a couple of times. Did you go back down the pub with your uni mates and have a, have a few celebrations? No, but we, I mean, we've had, you know, it's been 18 months since I actually got the deal, so we've had yeah. quite a few celebrations <laughs> <laughs> during that time. We've just got to sell some copies now, OK? Uh, which you will do, because I, I've, I've really enjoyed it. 
I loved it. There's so many, I was, so many little sentences and little paragraphs. There's, I just wanted to say, because I, I mean, this bit, I love this bit. If anyone could understand the Tigers, it was him, trapped in a foreign land and reduced to parading himself before a paying audience. But then he'd raise his clarinet, the reed rough against his lips and feel like a king. Awesome. Beautiful. And there are so many little nuggets like that where you just manage to encapsulate a moment so, so well. Thank you. It's time then for Behind the Cover, where we ask our author this week, Louise Hare, to read us an extract of their new book that particularly resonates with them. Uh, it's going to be, well, it might be a great introduction to your favourite bit, um, a cracking bit of dialogue. What what have you chosen for us, Louise? Um, I was just going to read, um, it's one of the 1948 sections. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's the first one with Evie. Um, so this is, um, so she's heard that these sort of women's passengers have been um, sort of housed underneath Clapham Common. Um, so she sort of uh, skies off school to go and see them. So I'm just going to read first paragraph. Evie watched them from across the street, concealing herself amongst the steady flow of commuters who rushed in and out of Clapham South Tube Station. The newcomers emerged, blinking into the bright sunshine through a secret door that she'd never noticed before, hidden in plain sight. She'd only seen men so far, which was disappointing. She'd hoped for a girl someone her own age who might need help settling in. Someone who would be grateful to learn how things worked in London, who might become a friend. Ma had told her that they'd have a shock in store, these newcomers who had travelled from so far away that they would take a while to get used to the city. Maybe that was why Evie's father had left, unable to settle in and think of London as home. Ma said there was no point talking about him, since Evie would never meet him. He didn't even know that Evie existed. Um, there's so many things in there. Arriving um, history, her hope and excitement about what's to come. Why did you choose that paragraph? Um, I think it, it kind of reminds me of like moving to London because obviously I grew up in the northwest in like a town where there, there just weren't that many black people. There were a couple, um, but usually when I was like even when at high school, you know, a thousand kids in one school, yeah. and it's like me and my brother. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, like, it was quite exciting moving to London and suddenly, you know, there's people from all over the place and you can sort of, you just feel a bit less that people are staring at you. And I think that I wanted to sort of capture that feeling that Evie has when she hears about these people coming over from the Caribbean and she's, like, so excited about it. And what year did you come to London? Ooh, Where uh, were you, Wigan? Warrington. Warrington. Uh, 2006, I think it was. Wow. Yeah. You felt like that in 2006. <laughs> Jeez. Um, okay, now, um, this is a really fun bit because we've had some questions from listeners via social media on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, this is from Sue on Instagram. Uh, she says, Hi, Louise. This is something I've always wondered. How did you go about choosing the names of your characters? I imagine it's trying. It's like trying to find a name for a baby. Yeah. And, of course, the baby, the baby <laughs> concerned in this book has several names. Mm. Um, so many, so many names. What does he say? Rathbone says so many names for so such a little. I can't remember at the end, and it was mm. like, wow, it was quite poignant that this this child had been so yeah. passed around between, you know, theoretically between mm. people. Yeah, um, with the names, I'm trying to think now. It's so long ago. Um, <laughs> so some of them came from books. So actually, Aston, who's Laurie's friend, yes. I'd found a book. He sounds um, really good fun. I'd like to go out with Aston. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he really grew on me. Yeah, he <laughs> he came one of my favourite characters by the by the end. Um, so he 
His name came from a book where I saw a picture of uh, Windrush passengers and one of them was called Aston, so that's why he's called Aston. Um, I can't remember why Laurie's Laurie. He just always was. I don't, I don't know why. He... Maybe these things just occur. They just, he's always meant to be. He's just yeah. meant to be Laurie. Yeah, Evie, I struggled to come up with Evie's name for a long time. So her name is, uh, so Evie's from Evelyn Dove. Um, and then the Coleridge comes from um, Samuel Coleridge Taylor, yeah. who is a black musician from the Victorian times. So that's how I sort of put her, so that, you can tell how much of a struggle it was. I've had to literally put it together for two other people. <laughs> um, and yeah, a lot of it was just like, sometimes I'd be writing and then I'd be there needs to be somebody else here. Yeah. Um, so I would literally just, first thing that came. Um, it's it's that's, that's what happens when yeah. you are naming your own child. It's, you know, it just, yeah. it's just, it's difficult to pinpoint where these things come from, isn't it? Okay, Beth says, Hi Louise, I love the era this book is set in, but I have no idea how troubled it really was. If you could go back to any moment in time, what would it be and why? Ooh, that's really hard. Um... Maybe like, I don't know, like the late 80s, I really liked. Because I, I was born in 1980, so it was like, okay. that was my first like memories of like music, Top of the Pops, yeah, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Um, everyone always laughs at me. I had a massive argument with someone the other day because they were like, the 90s was better than the 80s. I was like, no, Chelsea, it's <laughs> straight out. Um, whereas I think 80s fashion was just so fabulous. The shoulder I, pads. I can concur. <laughs> <laughs> Big hair. Being a little bit older than you, Louise, I can go, go. Going back to being a confident adult in the 80s would be really good fun. Um, okay, and Clara on Instagram says, this, be- this book is such, in capital letters, Clara, such a page turner. So the question is, what's next? Uh, yeah, so I'm writing a second book, which is set in 1936. So uh, a little bit earlier, and I've still got the music in there. So my main character's a jazz singer. Yeah. And she gets this amazing opportunity to travel to New York and uh, be in a Broadway projection. <gasps> or does she? Because as soon as she gets on the boat, people start dying. So it's a really, like, murder mystery. Um, all right, then. Now, we're almost at the end of our time with Louise today, but we can't let you go without asking you the important questions. Mm-hmm. So the important questions. Number one, if you could have written any book in history, what would it be? Yeah, so I was thinking about this, and it's a really hard question. Um, but one that I think I keep sort of, I think about it a lot, just going around, not even, I've only read it once, but I just keep thinking about it. I read it a few years ago. Um, the Book of Night Women by Marlon <laughs> okay. James. Yeah, yeah. Because I think it's just so clever. You've got this main character, Lilith, who is really pretty horrible <laughs> but Marlon James of, is dark it's like he I mean, goes it, to dark places yeah. he really does I mean it's a really dark book but you really root for her I mean she's a murderer yeah um but you really root for her because it's set around sort of slavery um and so she's just trying to survive so you completely understand that and you can she throws everybody under the bus at all times <laughs> but you kind of um you kind of just want her to succeed and I think to do that when she does such terrible things is genius and I would like to be able to to do that. I've still got his, what was it, the Seven Killings? What's the uh, Brief History of Seven Killings? Yeah, I've still got that by the side of my, my bed. I have to kind of do it in chunks because it mm. worries me so much. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> uh, okay, if you could be any character in a book, who would you be and why? So, I think I'm really sort of a little bit obsessed with like the Harlem Renaissance period, like the 1920s New York 
Um, and I read... So my second book I um, was slightly influenced by the book Passing by Nella Larson. So I think I would like to be Irene Redfield, who's her um, sort of... She's got two main female characters. So she's the one who is sort of light-skinned but identifies as being sort of black and then meets this woman who she knew years before who was also black but is sort of passing as being white. Um, and it's... I just want to live in that. I just want their apartment, basically. <laughs> I'd make different choices in life. I just want their like, their house and their. It's their funny, lifestyle. isn't it? There's. It's funny, isn't it? I think you know maybe that that is the the reflection of of where we find ourselves today. But that you know these sort of incredible aff- this incredibly glamorous affluent part of that time, mm. which is you know sort of versus this really really dreadful really desperate times for you know, your average mm. Joe and, and yeah. you know, immigrants into those big cities. Um, it's a it's a great, it's a great sort of setting, isn't it, for mm. drama, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, if you could only read one book for the rest of your life, what would it be? That's, we can't keep asking people this. It's so unfair. <laughs> I actually found this the easiest Did you? one. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Fingersmith by Sarah Waters. Oh, wow. Because although, so everyone goes, oh, you know, you've got this massive twist halfway through. But I, I've read it several times now, and it doesn't matter that you know that you what's still going go, to happen. Oh! <laughs> I still go. Oh, that's so. Cl-. But because you, because I, because now I read it, and I'm like, where is the clue that this is going? And it, it all works. But yeah, you don't. Like it doesn't matter if you've read it before. You, you still get different things from it. So, I love books yeah. like that. That's a great <laughs> choice. And and actually, um, it's really. It's. So, I'm so glad that you've come in because uh, none of those answers have been picked before. Um, yes. Which is yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> none of them. Which is really really cool. Um, okay, Lu- Louise. I've I really love the book. It's beautifully written. Um, what an achievement for your debut, and and I'm very excited about reading lots and lots more from you, Louise Hare. Uh, the fantastic this lovely city is out now, and you've been listening to the Magic Book Club podcast. Until next time, happy reading, and if you've enjoyed this episode, remember to rate and subscribe. Thank you, Louise. Thank you.